from Refine Labs. This is State of Demand Gen. Welcome, everyone. We gave a couple minutes for everyone to, to join in. Happy to have you here. This is our monthly expert series featuring Dave Gerhardt. We do this every, the first Thursday of every month at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And today we're going to be talking about something that as I've continued to, we have currently probably over the past three years have worked with more than 100 B2B SaaS and tech companies. And one of the things that seems to be really clear about like, it's not just about running ads or making content or different things like that. Like a big part of it is whether or not you have a story that positions you to win. And so before we think about tactics and ads and different things like that, I think it's really important to take a step back and be like, who are we telling a story to? Are we telling the right story? Is it resonating and why? And so what a great topic to have uh, Dave Gerhardt here with us. He just wrote a book on a similar topic. And so, yeah, Dave, welcome and looking forward to diving in on this topic with you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate our chats and the quality of people that seem to come in here and want to talk about marketing. So I'm happy, happy to do it. Yeah, we almost got 100 people live, which is great. And we'll probably have some stragglers that roll through. But I love this time slot. We get great participation from all across the world. And so yeah, let's get into it. Before we get into sort of like the process to how, I just wanted to get it started from you as to like, help people understand why like they need to be thinking about this and prioritizing the company story. I mean, to me, storytelling is everything. It's, I think, especially in 2022, there's just so much noise and so much competition across every channel, across every category. You're, you're rarely going to be the only game in town. And I've been using this Seth Godin quote that I love, and I'll just kind of like roughly quote it, but please give credit to Seth, not me. It's especially important in B2B because when people are buying in B2B, they're not spending their own money. They're spending somebody else's money. And he says that, you know, in order to do that, well, when it comes to buying, someone is either going to buy what they bought at their last job or what's cheaper. And so if you cannot tell them a story, then that's how the decision-making framework is going to go down. And I see this all the time. It's easier for me. Ah, I'm making a migration thing right now. And I'm like, I've used HubSpot before. I'm like, I'm just going to use HubSpot because I know that it works, right? Or maybe you make the cheaper decision. But like, especially in B2B, because of the noise, because of the competition, because of the complexity, because of there's 18 to 20 people involved in the decision-making process, you got to give somebody a story to hang on to. And I also think it's not just the story... But you can't just like throw a sexy story on a company and it's going to work. The ultimate combination is when the story becomes strategy. For example, HubSpot created this narrative of inbound marketing and they created this movement of inbound marketing. And those two words basically shaped everything they did in marketing for about a decade. At Drift, we talked about conversational marketing or you know, there, there's probably a, a bunch of other different examples that you could pull from right now, but it it works as like the ultimate, not only does it work as a great hook for your buyer and for your customer to give them a story. And we connect with stories on an emotional and personal level. It takes the the logic out of buying. Like, you know, you could be the most spreadsheet driven person, but people buy with emotion and then justify with logic. And so I want to try to play into that and and like connect with the, connect with the emotion Mike Troiano, who's a VC now, is a great CMO. He, ha he has a, like a line that he talks about. He's like, if you want to change how people think, 
you first have to change what they feel. The way to change what they feel is through storytelling. It plays out in the ultimate combination when the whole when the whole company is is rallied around that. It's not just oh, this is a great hook on the website or this is cool. It has to be played out in everything the company executes on from top to bottom. Now, you can be the greatest marketer in the world. Is this is not driven from the CEO and the rest of the executive team and company down, it's, it's never going to work. It's going to mean you're going to have a great piece of marketing collateral, but it's not going to be a story that actually like changes and makes waves with your company. It's got to come from the CEO. And every CEO that I've worked with, I, I knew in the first meeting, this person gets the story and they want the whole company aligned around it and they believe in it. And that, that's when it really works. You sort of talked a little bit more into the story and it started to, for me, blend into the idea of category. Do you see distinctions between story and category? And if so, what does that look like? Look, I think category creation is important, but I also think that a lot of people have gotten kind of caught up in it a little bit in that if you actually read the book, like Play Bigger, for example, what they're talking about in that book is building multi-billion dollar companies. And my opinion is you don't have to build a multi-billion dollar company to be successful, <laughs> right? The last company that I was at, they were $10, $12 million revenue company and, and they sold for nine figures and, and the CEO, you know, is it, very successful exit and a great company. And like, so I, you don't have to build a multi-billion dollar category. And granted, my experience is much more biased towards like, I typically have been working with early stage SaaS companies. And so like less than 50 million, right? Zero to 50 million. But I, I think of it more as like, what do you want to be known for? And what, what is the name of your thing that people can easily spit back at you? What do you stay, you know, what's the thing that you stand for? It's much more to me about like a movement and naming what you do than it is like, creating a category and category meaning that like Gartner's going to write some report on this and there's going to be some Forrester, whatever. I believe that stuff does work. I'm sure there's a strategy for that. I'm not poo-pooing anybody who's done that. I'm just talking about my experience and what I've done. I think it's more about naming it. For example, I don't know what your category is, but you all have done something around demand gen. I think that your content, your podcast, your demand gen live, you've created a movement of demand gen B2B marketing people, to me, that is just as effective as like, you know, creating this, this formal category. I think people just get too caught up in that and it becomes a distraction. It's so interesting too, because from our experience that like, because of the way that we have the story and we craft the content that the story actually gets iterated on in real time and will evolve as the company evolves because of the feedback and the constant iterations of doing it. Which leads me to the next question, which is, when is the right time for a company to be thinking about this? Always, now, always. Yeah, it was yeah. like, it was the only thing that I spent time with, with David, the CEO at Drift on in, in the early days. It's like, it's not like a, we had like a standing meeting once a week to talk about the story. I mean, we were constantly texting, DMing, Twitter DM, like your brain just needs to be switched on. And like, even though we had a good story down, he was always sending me, hey, look at what this company did. Look at this headline. Look at how they positioned this. This is genius. Look at how, not just B2B, like, yes, we, we were looking at companies like, wow, here, look at this stroke of genius and how Mark Benioff acquired Slack. And they're talking about like the future of work now. We would look at stuff like that, but it's, it's an ongoing, it's got to be like, and I'm sure you do this as a CEO, like you're just always thinking of it. It's, it's a not, it's a never ending thing. You might have 
what's on the website right now and your boilerplate and what the team is using. But like, I've always kind of had either Apple Notes or Evernote or Google Doc. I just keep a running list of like, I call it like the messaging file. I keep headlines that I like, things customers has said. Maybe I'm on a thing like this today and I hear someone say something interesting. Like I screenshot that. And so I always kind of have this like swipe file of things that people are talking about. So I think the story has got to be ongoing. And I also know that when it comes to marketing, most CEOs only care about two things, the story and pipeline. And so like, it's kind of like, those are the only two things that, that we're already talking about, always talking about at that level. Even at a Mark Benioff, Salesforce type level, the story is the story's never done in that. Like, you know, it's not done until everyone is spitting it back at you and the whole company is sick about talking. It has to be years and years of telling that story. It's never done. It's like this constantly evolving thing based on what's happening in the market, what's happening with your customers, what new product stuff you're shipping. Because all of a sudden, Drift was just a chatbot company, quote unquote. And then we acquired this video company. And now it's like, how do we figure out how video plays into that story? Well, the story has to evolve. And so how do we tell a story around like video that starts conversations or whatever? It's, it's constantly evolving based on all the different like ingredients and inputs that you're getting. I love that. If we go a little bit deeper on that specific point with like the acquisition, like let's use the drift example. So you had the platform and then you acquired video. It's interesting to think whether the story drives the acquisition targets or the other way around. would love for you to dive a little bit deeper into that. It's tough to give like perfect advice on because I think it's different. You know, some founders will wake up and just be like, I want to acquire this company <laughs> and I have this vision. But like in the case of Drift, it was like they, they had a vi- they had a vision. And I always talk about like this, and I, I mentioned it with HubSpot, like we had two word positioning at Drift in, in its prime, which was like the positioning was conversational marketing. We're not about forms, we're about helping people start conversations. And look, you can debate whether that's right or wrong now. This is I'm talking about just from a Inside my marketing hat is on, and I'm the marketing guy at the company trying to figure out this stuff, right? And so the conversational marketing was like the, the framework was like our mission is to help remove the friction in B2B buying and make it easier for people to buy. The way that we're doing that today is chatbots. Does that have to be the only way? No, there's lots of oh, interesting. Okay. Well, we're observing what's happening across companies. Everybody sales reps at this time, 2017, 2018, one thing that was working really well was video, personalized video. And we're like, holy cow, this is a really good conversation starter. I wonder if there's an angle here. And so then you start to think about like, it comes from a deep, I guess the the short answer is like, it comes from a deep understanding of of your customer and, and your buyer. And I think it allowed us to like do other things that we made another acquisition, an email company, same hook. We kind of only had only had done chat. What's the hook for email? Well, it's about conversational email. Traditionally, B2B marketing companies just kind of blast out emails. But actually, all the golden emails, when somebody actually responds, don't you want to get a response from an email? And so we're able to keep pulling at threads like that. But I also think it can be hard to do over time. And I think one of the things that was really valuable in the early days of Drift is we didn't try to be everything to everyone. We started with a wedge and we kept adding as opposed to like... I see a lot of early stage companies, they try to be the, the all-in-one thing out of the gate. And it's like, that's not interesting to anybody. And so at Drift, we started specifically with product marketers because our hypothesis was we needed to get this thing installed on somebody's website 
who has the keys to the website at most companies, it's product marketing. And so if we can go into product marketing and get this thing installed, okay, then we're going to build, we're going to start to build a business. We're going to learn how to sell to product marketing. We're going to learn where the product falls down. Then once we prove out success with product marketing, now maybe we can expand into demand gen and into sales and into, you know, wherever else things go down the road. I think that approach is very important to take also. Yeah, I just want to also note, you mentioned the messaging file. That's something that people that are in the audience can take away right now, like whether it's a Google Doc or whatever you, you want to store it. I use the Notes app on my phone and screenshots. Like being able to, as you have ideas, have a way to get them into a space that when you are have time to revisit them, right? Every time you have an idea, you're not going to have a bunch, maybe an hour to go and think about it, but having a space to put stuff away as you keep working on it because this in my experience, this stuff doesn't come to you straight away. It happens over a long period yeah. of time. And so being able to let that stuff simmer and continue to work through it, I think is really important. I'll give you an example. I'm working with a company right now and we were stuck on this messaging thing for weeks. And it, like they haven't, they haven't come out with this yet, so I can't share it. But like one day out of the blue on the call, what about blank? And everyone was like, oh my God. It's like, I think frameworks are very important. However, I think when it comes to positioning and messaging, they can be a crutch because if you're just so glued in this, like, this is my doc, this is my doc. But like, what happens when you're like, you have lunch with somebody or you're out on a run and all, all of a sudden, like, you got it. You, you need to create space for that. But I also found that like creating this swipe file, just like there's so much messaging coming at you. And it's not all like, you can't all like, you're not going to change everything that you're doing in that moment. But, but you see... A competitor in your space puts out an interesting announcement. Screenshot the headline. We could. I wonder if there's a way you could use that. CEO tweets something that kind of blows up. Interesting. I wonder why. Right. I saw this thing. I saw. I. I really like how this person talked about. It, it can come from literally anywhere. You're listening to a podcast. I'm, I'm listening to a podcast last week about. They're not talking about companies in the B2B SaaS space. They're just talking about companies like Peloton who pulled forward demand because of COVID. And actually now maybe did everybody who's going to buy a Peloton already buy one. That's a really similar trend to like a lot of SaaS companies. And so like, it's just kind of, it becomes this exercise in like pattern matching and just thinking about things creatively and getting outside of the B2B marketing bubble. But also you get a lot of things like at Privy, for example, there was gold that came from like the customer success team, the customer support team. You can't just change the website messaging overnight, but all of a sudden now I got this Google doc. And so when I'm going to go write something or when we need to go do something, we have kind of lots of, lots of ideas to like get the ball rolling as opposed to like, I got a blank Google doc and the CEO is on my ass to write the series C press release like tonight. Uh, I feel good about that. I, I kind of have already been working on the messaging on, on, on going. We're not making this up from scratch right now. Mm -hmm. And just so everyone knows, we're going to get into a more detailed way of actually how to get this done. But one more question just to set this up before we get into that with Dave and you alluded to it a little bit, and it's like, how does customer research and insights play into this? Is it, an, <laughs> is it just, is it an input? Is it, how does that work in your mind? Definitely an input. I'm never the right person to ask on this because one of my strengths and weaknesses is that I'm very creative and very impulsive. <laughs> and so I might have an idea and like the CEO likes it and it's like, we're going to go do this. This feels right. Where like a lot of people, well, have, we haven't tested it with 50 customers yet. And there is huge value. Don't let me poo-poo that approach. There's huge value in that. But there's also However, huge value in ha like having conviction and intuition and, and moving with an idea because moving yes. forward, you pick a direction and go. I think a lot of marketers are so stuck 
waiting to make everything perfect where they actually never make progress or put anything out. I'm sure that's, that's where you're getting to. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm no, so with no, you. You're, you're, no, you're, you're hundred percent right. I do think that a lot of times, you know, like one company that I, that I'm working with on like on the category creation type of stuff or whatever, you know, we're in, we're in the messaging process and it's like, all right, well now we're going to like, we're going to go do 10 customer interviews and survey them on this. And I'm like, look, what are you trying to do? Like if you're trying to create demand, for example, and something new, nothing that you're going to go and sit down with customers and tell they're, they're not going to be like, yeah, this is genius. Go do it. They're most likely going to be like, uh, I'm not sure I see how this fits. And so like, you have to be very aware of like, what do you want to get out of that? And so like, if you want to go and run the story by them and make sure that like it holds up and like, there's a possibility in their world that it could be great, but you're never going to get like 10 customers from your customer advisory board being like, this is amazing. Do it. It's a great way to like check and get, and get input. Like I'm, I'm working on like a rebrand for DGMG right now. I'm going to change a name and do a whole thing. And it's this weird exercise of like, I'm asking people that I trust for feedback. And a lot of them are like, I don't love that, but I have strong conviction. And I know that it's going to work because like, I've been in this niche, I've been in this market, I've taken all these inputs. And so I think you, you also got to have like, this is why the founder and the CEO has to be so involved in this process because they're the one, they're the crazy person who started this company. They're the ones who've been in this industry for a while. Usually you have to have some conviction of your own and some kind of gut. And now if you do have something like a customer advisory board, that's great. Use that as a, as an input, as a gut check and, and like go and test that. But I'm also not talking about like doing large scale, like messaging, message testing at a $500 million company. We're talking about early stage startups. And like you also, you're going to get lots of cracks at this. This is, it's never the like huge unveil. This is why I never like to do like the huge brand unveiling because you spend six months doing the whole brand, doing the whole messaging, and then it falls flat. Then you're like, we just wasted six figures on this verse, I'm like, let's change the headline now. Let's change the homepage now. Let's do a podcast episode on this topic now. Let's, you know, let's do a roundtable with five customers on this topic now. And so, like, what are the ways that you can almost like foolproof your way? This is Chris. This is also why like community is so important because this is not even a book plug. But like, I literally wrote my book through my community. I was like, I want to write a book. Here's a bunch of ideas. We tested titles. We tested concepts. I was like, when we went to actually launch the book, I was like, all right, it's not going to sell no copies because I already had a good enough feeling that like people had given me feedback through community that they, that they might buy it. And so like huge impact on us in the early days of Drift was the fact that we had an audience and we had built an audience. And so when we went to go test things, we kind of already felt like we had a good feeling. And so one thing that, that we did really well, I think, was we would take a concept like messaging and before we made the huge deck and before we made the huge website, we kind of always, it was always like a blog post first. And it was a blog post and an email. And we could really quickly be like, all right, we're going to, we got this idea about like removing lead forms or whatever. We're going to turn that into an article and we're going to send that article out. And like within three days, we got enough feedback on that to be like, okay, there's something here. And so I just push you more to like, how can you build your own audience so you can get this feedback? kind of at scale and along and along the way. And then you get to do a messaging relaunch or rebrand or whatever. And it could still fail, but you feel a little bit better about it going in. The concept is sort of like 
taking agile into marketing, right? Like being able to move quickly, collect some data, yeah. adjust nice. over That's and over. The thing is, and I think that where a lot of marketers get caught in this is that because of the metrics that they optimize for, they're looking for the wrong things at this stage. When you're in this stage, you're looking for the comment, you know what I mean? The reply back to the email that says like, hey, I'd never yes. considered this topic before. They're much different signals than what most B2B marketers use, which can, for the audience, you need to be looking at at this granular level of like, how are people on an individual level responding to this, which then gives you qualitative insights that you need to process. It's a little bit more difficult than quant to actually sort of requires more intuitions, requires more customer understanding, but truly is one of the biggest superpowers in marketing is to understand how to get those initial positive signals, because that's going to tell you what's working way before the quant. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, just to, just to yeah, keep going please. on this topic for a minute is, um, I think customers are obviously really important. I would say the sales team is really, really, really important in this process. And so anytime I'm close to like, I think I, I really like this story or like, hey, I've been working on this new deck with the CEO. Before I ever present it to anybody else in the company, you got to get one or two salespeople, one or two of your top sales reps involved in that process. Because this is like, to me, the make or break moment where they could either, you could either go through that and they're like, this is terrible. I will never pitch this. Or you'll get it and be like, give me this deck now. I need this deck now. Can I have these two slides now? And Or it can be somewhere in between. But I think you need to actually like get that feedback in early on from one or two sales reps. And then also, just like you might sell to a customer, that sales rep, like she will be your champion as you then go roll this out to the rest of the company. Because then when I'm presenting the new sales deck or whatever to the company, I got Christina right next to me and she's like, I've been working on this with Dave for the last two weeks. I've tried this on a bunch of calls. It's completely changed like the balance of power on the call. And it's really helped us do this and that. I'd recommend you start using it. Versus like, you will always fail if you're like, hello, sales team, I am here with your new deck. Mm -mm, that's never going to work. You got to get one or two people like bought into that process early. And you get amazing feedback from the sales team. Because unlike a customer, a customer will be like, yo, you know, it's... It's interesting, like a sales rep is going to be like, no, this is not going to work. And so I think you got to bake in these little small pieces of feedback from customers, from sales, from whoever, your blog audience, as you're doing this messaging exercise. Awesome. That was great. We're going to get back into that in a little bit. So I appreciate the little preview there. But I want to make sure we get into some of the meat. I'm not sure, Dave, about like if there's, and you mentioned not being like so attached to frameworks, but perhaps there's a way to walk people through how to think about, or maybe even how you guide companies that you work with through this process, right? At a high level, like how do people are now bought in, they understand when they should be doing it, which is all the time. They understand why, like now, what are a couple of steps that people can take to get the wheels turning to make this happen? My favorite is, What's the one sentence description of your company? That is the thing that I think I'm, I was always working on. Beyond like positioning for who does what, you know, throw that out for a minute. I think it's the, the one, the one liner for your company. And I think probably then like a longer, like three to five sentence boilerplate type of thing. And I have also found that like, I think the website headline is a great way to like, that's your tagline, that's your one-liner, whether it actually plays out as, the, as your like functioning website headline. But I think of it like, what, what, is the, 
what is the hook? What is the headline of, of your company? Those are three uh, really interesting sort of like ways to get it started. How do you recommend people sort of like work through it, right? I'm even thinking to myself, like, if it's a one sentence description, do you, should you have a big group of people on your team working on it? Should it be a small group? Should it be just one person? Like, how do you think about actually working through to land on this like one sentence or the website yeah. headline? I think always a small group, but lots of input and people involved. And so it's tough to say because it's different at different company sizes, but like, I'll just like, let's say like series A, series B startup, let's say like you're the marketing leader. I think if this is not coming from the marketing leader, then it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think you as the marketing leader should not be outsourcing the headline, tagline, whatever it is, creation to... If you have an amazing team, you're great. You work with the team on that, but you got to be bringing it because you got to be... What's a CEO think? What's a CTO think? What's the VP of engineering think? What's the head of customer success think? What's the CRO think? And you can bring those people in too early, but ideally it's a very small team. And I would say the more you can share that it's happening before it's happening is always beneficial. So, hey, look, we're doing a messaging refresh. Myself and Lauren are working on this directly and we will bring in the right people when it's time. And so we're going to go work on this just in marketing. We're going to have five to 10 variations of this. We're then going to bring the CEO in if she's not involved already. Oftentimes, the CEO is already going to be very involved in that process. And so it's like you and the CEO. You're going to have a bunch of different options. You're going to whittle them down. You're going to come down to two or three versions that you like. Ideally, you get to one. And then you're going to say, okay, this is the one that we like. And here's the story. And here's why. And then you're going to go pressure test it. And so then you're going to have a call or like asynchronous feedback with sales, success, all the kind of cross-functional elements. And actually, now that I'm hearing myself say that out loud, I would prefer not to do like, um, here it is. What do you think? <laughs> Thing, because that's all anybody... like. It, it's just words. And so anybody's always going to be able to be like, mm, I don't like the there. And that's not what you're doing. And so I always like to present it with like, five to 10 minutes first of context about like, why are we doing this? And what do we hope to achieve with it? And so like, hey, right now we're having a hard time selling to enterprise buyers, deals are getting stuck and there's lots of competition and there's lots of noise. And so we've been really needing to come up with a differentiated story. And this is going to play out in a bunch of different forms. It's going to be on the website, it's going to be a deck, but ultimately it's going to start with this kind of headline and short kind of boilerplate. And I've spent the last three weeks working with the CEO and this other person on this. We've tested it with a bunch of customers. We've tested it with a bunch of sales reps. We've, we've started to get some early feedback, but now I want to present this version to you and just start to get this group's feedback from these four or five people. I'm going to present it. Let's discuss. Then we're on that call and I'm like, okay, great. Chris, what's your feedback? Angelica, what do you think? Todd, what do you think? Cool. Your job is not to just change based on what their input is. It's just just take all those things and be like, yep, I can see that. We thought about that. Here's why. It, this is like, you're going to always kind of end up having to disagree and commit, or you're never going to have, you're rarely going to have five of the other execs or cross-functional leaders being like, love it, ship it. Sometimes you do, and that's great. Um, but I, I try to take that approach 
Then we've kind of got everybody bought into this kind of new tagline, new boilerplate. Now I can go do the bigger work. Now there's not as much risk of like going to spend and do the website, going and do the rebrand, going to do all that stuff because like I'm not going to get caught by some internal thing right now. Like I've already gotten all the internal buy-in. Now I can start to communicate progress. Hey, here's a new story. Well, how is this actually going to play out? Because I think a lot of people may, might go and do the headline and, and do the boilerplate thing, but they struggle to show like, how are we going to actually do this? And so like, especially we talked about category creation before, people come up with a name for this thing. They just put that name on the website and think that that is the messaging strategy. And so for me, this is where it comes back to story is strategy. What are the other things that you're going to do? And so I'll give you an example. At Privy, we wanted to focus on being the leader for for e-commerce marketing for small businesses. There was lots of other companies in the space, but nobody had really nailed doing this for SMBs, small. And so we needed, we needed a story that appealed to small businesses, but then we needed like our megaphone other than changing the website copy. What are we going to do? And so we launched a podcast, focus on e-commerce marketing tips for small businesses. We wrote a book on it. We did an event on it. We did weekly masterclasses on it. Our whole content strategy and kind of product marketing strategy shifted around that. And then you can see how, wow, this simple tagline now has turned into a full strategy for the company. And yeah, we haven't done all the things on our list yet, but everyone in the company sees how we're like making this change and starting to tell this message more broadly. Yeah, I totally agree with your answer. If we back up a bit on just like doing this inside of a small group, and then you're going to need to collect feedback from other people in the organization. But I'd like to dig in a little bit more with you because (laughs) When you do marketing by committee, you end up with vanilla shit. You know what I mean? You end up with stuff that's boring, average, because everyone's opinion comes in, and then you're marketing to everyone, everything's too broad. You end up yeah. using the royal blue or whatever, series A blue in your colors because of all of the opinions create very vanilla stuff. So, And you've been through this a lot with companies, and so I would love to hear sort of, because I imagine people that have worked on this as a marketing leader or as a marketing employee, right? Like everyone thinks that they can do marketing, right? You wouldn't, you would never go out and tell a physicist how to do their job. You would never tell a computer software engineer how to write code, but for some reason, everyone's got an opinion on how to do marketing. So would love to hear, uh, hear your thoughts on how you sort of like handle this, uh, the huge risks of marketing by committee when doing this. Uh, I mean, it's hard. I think a lot of times I've probably made people angry or frustrated, or they felt like this guy just gets to do whatever he wants. And I understand that completely. And I've been on the other side of it completely, but like I've had it, I guess, easy because I've had CEOs who like believed in marketing and we've been on the same page with marketing and they've believed that I'm a good storyteller or whatever. And so they're like, let's go. I got your back. Go ahead. Let's do that. Let's do this. It's very, very, very hard if you don't have the CEO with you. And doing this because then you're trying to, you know, navigate the CEO's feedback and you're trying to figure out what the heck she wants. But then the VP of sales come roaring out of nowhere. And so what was great for me is like I had David at Drift and Ben at Privy being like, yep, we heard, heard your feedback loud and clear. We're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it has to be that way. And I think that only works if you really have strong conviction and you've been in the the market and you've you've gotten you've taken the pulse like if it feels it's rarely felt like so horribly horribly wrong from what people are actually saying and so i think you know you got to be able to have customer conversations and gong calls and close feedback with the sales team and so like 
when I've done this the best, it's been because I haven't just like come out of nowhere and done this cold unveiling of the, of the messaging is because I was very close with the early sales reps at Drift and they were feeding me ideas while I'm talking to the CEO. And so I think the closer relationships you have and the more trust and credibility you've built across the company, the more freedom and you know, for better or worse, towards some of the like the later stage stuff that that I did while I was at Drift, there was like the VPS sales. The VPS sales in particular was like, yeah, I don't, I trust you. I've seen it. I like, I've seen you. You know, produce a couple hits. Like, I'm, I trust you. Let's do it. You've gotten feedback from my team. Great, let's do it. And so, it, it's hard. You got to just take that leap of faith. And it's almost, it's almost stranger when everyone does say yes. And so I think mm-hmm. you got to have your clear why. Why are we doing this? What's the thing that's not working? And so. I have struggled when I haven't been able to articulate the why, when it feels like we're just doing this just for the sake of doing this and we're not taking anybody's feedback. But when it's like, look, our win rate right now is like 10%, especially to these two competitors. We got to do something. (laughs) And so you need to be grounded in that like business why. We're not just changing the messaging because marketing loves to change the website. Like, What's the reason? And so like early days of Drift, it was like, there's a bunch of other companies in the space. How are we different? What is our story? And how do we win more of these competitive deals? And so every exec could be like, they don't like that I used green and they wanted blue, but they could all agree that like we were not achieving the goal. Like we were stuck. And so I think the more you can ground at least that part of it in, in truth, in fact, like why are we doing this? That gives you much more of a leg to stand on for then. And look, you also have to be open. Like, look, this is not going to be perfect. I don't know what the perfect messaging is, but we got to start to make progress. And so our win rate now is super low, especially versus these competitors. We have no differentiation. So we're going to shake it up. We're going to try to come up with a new story and a new angle. Here's what we're doing. Let's take your feedback. Here's why. And let's go do it. And we're going to iterate this over time. I think that's probably the more realistic approach is like grounded in the... Like to go back to CEO only cares about story and pipeline. Okay, what's the blocker? What what what's and it could be the CEO is having a hard time raising funding or hard time attracting candidates, or most often it's like the win rate thing that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. There is no perfect way in marketing for the audience, by the way. There's a ton of different ways to win, right? Some stories end up rising to the top, but just because someone took a chance on that message and they could have gone in a different direction. So just wanted to note that for people. I think the feeling of perfection oftentimes holds people back from actually like going and doing things. Chris, right. we hated the name conversational marketing. We hated it because it was like, we were trying to come up with something sexy, like catchy. And at some point we were like, people started talking about it and we just got to commit and ship it. And we made it, we made it happen. You know, it, it is the most like art and science piece of it, but grounded in a business goal. And I think everything will be, will be okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to have time for a couple questions. So if anyone's in the audience that's like working through this right now or has some relevant questions and wants some advice from Dave and I, we're going to get into questions. We got one more topic. Chat, this discussion is very triggering. (laughs) (laughs) We got one more topic and you alluded to it a little bit at Privy, but I want to dive deeper for people because I think this one's really important. It's like once you have the story, the story has been validated, whether that's the sales team saying, hey, this is great or with customers or however you decide to validate. The next piece is like, how do you form that into campaigns and content to have it really like operationalized and roll, right? You had mentioned that just putting it on the website and putting the name up, tagline up there and calling it a day is obviously not going to work. So how do you start to think about how to build out the surrounding pieces where you, you know, it's almost the megaphone that you talked about? How do you, how do you think about helping people craft that approach? I think first it's, it's um, I think the very tactical thing that it, 
I like to use as a deck. Not a messaging doc, not a whatever else, but like, let's say a 10 to 12 slide kind of like story slash that you could call this your strategic narrative, 10 to 12 slide deck. And to me, that is like the output of this. And your headline might be in there and your boilerplate or whatever might be in there, but it's got to be some like, here's what's happening in the market. Here's the change. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's examples. Here's what we call what we do. And I've just found that like that deck has been the best way to then it's like the sheet of music that everyone else is going to go play off of. And so like, okay, we need to update the sales deck. It's very hard to like write one thing and have it apply everywhere else. And so I think like when you just kind of free, when you just give yourself the freedom and be like, look, this is not the sales deck. This is not the website. This is not the content strategy, but this is our new story, our strategic narrative in 10 to 12 slides. Then you're going to go give that. And that's what the new sales deck is going to be based off of. And you're going to take some of that story and the sales deck is going to play out in a different way. And the website is going to play out in a different way. And so I think um, for me, it's about like creating that kind of like sheet of music that all the other teams are going to, are going to rally around. And so it's like, Hey, here's a new story. Let's come back. Let, you know, let's meet at the beginning of Q2 and I want everybody to come and let's do stop, start. And con- I want you to digest this new messaging. And I always will have to be the one that would pitch it to the team because if I can't pitch the story and get people excited about it as the marketing leader, how am I supposed to just like pass this deck on and be like, go create good stuff team. And so step one is like, here's a new story. Let's have an internal marketing meeting about it. I'm going to pitch you the new deck. It's already been blessed by the CEO and whoever we're doing this. (laughs) And so I try to set that context, like "We're, we're doing this, we'll take your feedback, but like this is happening and let's talk about it. So, so what does this mean? Hey, Chris, what does this mean in product marketing world? And you're like, well, I think this means blah, blah, blah. Or you might have questions. Hey, Angelica, what does this mean in, in um, content world? What does this mean in demand gen? So that's where you got to bring the team back in and say, okay, hey, now that we got this kind of new story, how are we going to play this out? But I also think I've always just kind of had a bias towards like content and brand building stuff. And so we've always kind of had like pillars where this plays out. And so I... I love like the anchor approach of like, let's say you are creating this new story about inbound, like you're going to own inbound marketing. You're creating this deck about inbound marketing. I like to think about like, how are we going to actually own that other than what's on the website? Well, I think one of the best things about doing marketing today is that you can build your own media company. And so what are the channels that you're going to build? And the focus of those channels should be about that story. And so maybe you have Inbound Marketing Weekly, which is a weekly live show that you do with your top customers or whatever. You have the Inbound Marketing Podcast. You have the Inbound Marketing Book. You do the Inbound Marketing Event. All of your themes are going to be related to those, those topics. And so I think it's like, um, you got to pick two or three pillars of like, how are you going to actually create that megaphone to go and tell that story to the world? But then there's also the kind of more day-to-day version, which is just like, how do we weave this into, into everything that we're doing across the team? And it's got to be a strategic priority. And so, hey, we're shifting to talk about this. We got to redo our content strategy. We got to redo all the product marketing stuff. We got to bring this in. It's got to be part of what we talk about every day and every week. All right. We got maybe uh, time for two questions. Angelica, we have anything from the audience? We want to bring someone on live. What about when the CEO doesn't get the story or importance of the brand story? Have you been successful at moving that dial? Hmm. I'll let you take that one. I haven't been successful because I've only been in scenarios where that has been something on the way 
in, I would say what I would do if I was in that situation was before I said, let's, hey, hey, let's go redo the story. I would spend time without that CEO and make like the most killer presentation of, of my life or just that's obviously hyperbole trying to pitch her on, on why we need to make that change. And so I think that's where you got to bring data. Hey, we're, we're getting crushed in this segment. We're not building pipeline. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. That's where you go behind the scenes and you're, you're talking to the VP of sales. You're talking to the VP of customer success and you're looking at the pipeline and you're looking at the demand gen strategy and you're seeing all these things. And I think you can't just show up to the CEO and be like, we're making a change. But if you come to that CEO and you say, here are all these reasons, look what's happening. Hypothesis that we have is that we have the wrong story. And by the way, story is often like the easiest one. It's hard to do, but it's often like the least expensive from a time suck standpoint. You could just often can often can you you can just change a story and see wild success sometimes. And so I, I would say, how can you make the business case for why you got to go do this and say, look, here's where we're stuck. Hypothesis is that we want to go change the story. And even if still she says, like, nope, don't believe it. Well, can you be like, well, can I prove it to you? Can I? can we go test this in some small way? And so can you maybe not change the whole website, but could you do a test with one sales rep? And can you go tweak the deck? Maybe not in this huge level, but could you do one test with one rep or one landing page or, or some way to start to get data to say like, we, this is what we got to do. That's how I would try to fight that battle. Yeah, I love that one. The only thing I would add, and we've talked about this several times on uh, with Dave before, but it's just like, as a marketer right now, there is such a divergence in the leadership of companies, depending on whether they believe and understand marketing, they get it or they don't, and a majority don't. And so for any marketing employee at any level, particularly important as you continue to go up in seniority level, you got to be able to understand how to vet companies on the way in, because once you're in, it's very difficult, like Dave mentioned, how to do that. But that shit could take you 12 months. And instead of spending 12 months trying to convince a CEO that doesn't get marketing to do something, you could have spent 12 months actually doing the whole story, rolling that out to the sales team, driving a ton of pipeline, having really good results. And so I, I couldn't hammer home. I just, I talked to hundreds of executives and companies and couldn't hammer home the, the importance of finding people that are really aligned with how you see the world. Well said. Let's get the next one. Yeah, hi. First of all, thanks to Dave and uh, Chris as well, because uh, this is very relevant for us right now. The exact tips that you gave today is going to be helpful tomorrow for us. Good My enough. question is about we're we're um, a marketing agency trying to make that shift from let's just call it the MQL hamster wheel towards providing more of the demand gen type services, and we're dealing with a lot of our clients who are, like you said, Chris, uh, the ones that don't get it. Also, take into account the fact that you want to make sure that when a, a company presents their own story, it's authentic and it's rooted in, in, in their own business. Do you have any tips or insights for if you're an outside partner trying to help this company get this on board? Obviously, you can't write the story for them, but how would you facilitate that? I mean, we're not in a position where we can say we're only going to work with companies who get this. Unfortunately, not yet. Mm -hmm. We do have a business to run, obviously. So any tips, insights on that? So when you're trying to change from lead gen to demand gen in the seat that you're in, you're, you can't, it's not only changing the story, you're also changing the product. 
And when you change the product, typically the customer that buys that product will change too. And so my recommendation in this is that you almost need to keep going with your existing business and build a different business on the side that eventually takes over. Making a hard change is going to be very difficult because you're going to, or you're going to have to keep run. You're going to have to somehow cater to the existing customer base because changing the customer base over, you're basically giving them a different product than what they initially bought. And there's going to be so much friction. So my recommendation would be to keep running that business, craft a new story and actually almost start a completely different brand and business and then build that up in a different way. I think that would be the easiest path. That's what I would do. Yeah, that was my gut feeling. So glad that. uh... (laughs) But yeah, love, love what you have to add to Dave. Sometimes the outside perspective can actually be very helpful. Not always. You might miss a lot of context, but like I can remember a couple times specifically where we got like a holy cow, that's genius messaging idea from someone who didn't really know the inner workings of our business. And so obviously, and also if this is your business, like you probably do have some hypotheses. And so you might be like, look, I don't know if this is perfect, but like, here's one idea of a story that maybe you should be telling. And obviously there's a lot missing in that, but I think um, sometimes that fresh perspective can be really, really valuable. And I often see that one of the biggest symptoms at most companies is that everybody is actually too in the weeds and they can't come up with that breakthrough idea. And so I wouldn't discount your not being inside of the company as someone who could be able to help. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. I got a really, uh, really relevant one right here from Megan, which is, and this might be the last one we'll see. Sorry to cut the line here, but this is like one that is super relevant to what we talked about. So I'm going to jump in here. So Megan says, we've gone through a rebrand and the senior leadership team, there's four founders, have bought into the headline and the brand story, but our CEO has never gone through a rebrand or messaging launch before. How do I help him help himself, i.e. how can I help him rally the company around the new direction? I think that if he's not excited about it, then like, what are we doing? (laughs) And so... I would say I propose it like this. Hey, we maybe you need to spell out the steps of like, look, I got all this buy-in. This is going really well. But now we need to actually roll this out to the company. And I'm happy to get up in front of the company and do this. But I think it would be most powerful from you if you were able to at our next all hands, maybe like next quarter or the begin or next month or whatever. Can we spend five to ten minutes and start to and start to share this with everybody? And I'll do the deck. I'll set up everything, but I just need like thirty minutes of your time, maybe every other week for the next four weeks, and we'll we'll work on this story together. And so, like, you know, could you could you offer to basically create that playbook? And maybe maybe he says, I don't want to do it. And you know what? Amazing opportunity for you to stand up in front of the whole company and be like, Yeah, we did this, and here's how it's going. And the CEO. Because oftentimes I've seen the CEO like wants to, they, they want to do it and he's on board, but he just doesn't want to deliver it because he wasn't actually doing it. And so could you push by saying, I think, I think no matter what, whether you do it or he does it or somebody does it, you need to have some story in front of the company about we're making this change. Here's why the other executives are brought in. Could you even do like a two slide overview about what you're doing and make the change? And could you call up the four other senior founders, the senior leaders who are bought in and do a town hall Q&A with the four of them and just like the CEO doesn't have to have to do it. I, I would look for ways to try to force his hand a little bit and like, 
you know, sometimes the job of the CEO is like, you got to step in and ghostwrite it and make it happen and create the deck and make them deliver it. And so I, I would push to do like, fine, I'm going to do it, but you're going to be my puppet and, and, and go deliver this. Maybe it becomes something great and he ends up making it his own and, and it becomes a really compelling story. I have seen though that it, when it's not the founder that delivers that, does kind of have a different impact with the company. Mm-hmm. And so it'd be like a red flag to me if the CEO was not the one excited about telling the new story, even if it's two minutes of like, and I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to Megan, who's going to walk us through how this is going to play out. It's got to be something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, apologize to their people. We're going to be running out of time, but Hilmar, I did read your question and it looks like pretty similar to what Megan's question was on the time thing. So I hope that Dave's answer right there was helpful for you. But we are coming up on time and we're going to have to wrap up. So everyone, I love these sessions. It's a great time. We get a ton of participation from uh, EMEA in the UK. Um, Love having you all here. Love having Dave here to talk about some interesting, special topics. And so uh, Dave, really appreciate you joining us. And we'll be back here the first Thursday of April for another episode with a new topic. Sounds good. Thanks. Good to see you all. I hope everybody has a um, decent rest of the week and see you later. Awesome. Hey everyone, really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast. And so super grateful and super happy that for all of you, really appreciate you tuning in, attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok. And so Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode.